Welcome to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. I'm Michael Sleesman, Managing Director and Research Scholar at the Center. In this edition of the Bioethics Podcast, we offer excerpts from the 2013 Plenary Address by Alan Verhey, Ph.D., at CBHD's 20th Annual Summer Conference, Health and Human Flourishing. The excerpts from his address entitled Human Flourishing in Sickness and in Health explore the cult of human health and the key to flourishing in sickness. It is with great sadness that we at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity learned of Dr. Verhey's recent passing in late February. His book, Reading the Bible in the Strange World of Medicine, as well as edited volumes such as On Moral Medicine and Religion and Medical Ethics, have served as key texts in the formation and study of Christian bioethics. Not only was Dr. Verhey a preeminent Christian ethicist of our time, he was also a longtime friend of the Center, serving as a member of CBHD's advisory board since its founding. He was one of the original participants in the 1993 bioethics consultation at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School that led to the creation of the Center and delivered one of the plenary addresses at the Center's inaugural conference in 1994. Last year, CBHD used Dr. Verhey's recent volume, The Christian Art of Dying, as one of the texts for our Theological Bioethics Roundtable book discussions. And finally, we were blessed that Dr. Verhey was able to join us for our 20th annual summer conference this past year, offering words of reflection at our anniversary event and giving a plenary that fittingly ended with a standing ovation. In appreciation for the years of Dr. Verhey's friendship with the Center, and in remembrance of his work, we offer these excerpts from Dr. Verhey's final plenary address to the Center. Now, we have already hinted above at, the, at a fundamental theological problem in identifying them when we referred to the cult of health. The, to identify human flourishing and health risks idolatry. We tend to think that we have outgrown idolatry, that it's a sin of primitive people. But the temptations to idolatry are no less present in the modern world than to the ancient world. Anywhere a, a, a good exists, it can evoke an extravagant and, 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 and ultimate loyalty, prompt extravagant and final expectations. And health and healing are very real goods. They touch us near the center of our hopes and fears where we live and die, where we give birth and shudder in pain. Now, health is a good gift of God, but it can be a very demanding idol. And it is, moreover, a very fragile idol. However devoted we are to health, it is certain to be shattered by trauma or disease or simply by aging. And when health is threatened, then we turn to another good gift of God, to medical technology and his healing power. And this good gift, too, can be made an idol. As if we could expect to be delivered from our finitude to our flourishing 
by medical technology, as if medicine were the faithful savior. Indeed, technology and its healing power may be the high god in the contemporary pantheon of idols. To be sure, few bend their knee any longer before Asclepius or Gula, but medicine can be an idol in our strange world of medicine and doctors, its priests. And patients kneel at this shrine when they visit the doctor's office and petition for a piece of medical wizardry to be delivered with technological grace. And preachers, preachers bend their knee at this shrine when they render faith and prayer as therapeutic as medical technologies to be pulled out as a last resort when all else fails. And physicians, sometimes for a little while basked in the glory of their techniques, profiting from and enjoying the expectation that technology will deliver us from our finitude to our flourishing. But this idol, too, is fragile, frequently shattered, by the realities of our mortality and our vulnerability to a suffering that no medicine can remedy. Now the point, the point can be and should be put positively as well. Nothing God made is God. But God is God. And God can be trusted even at the limits of our lives, even at the limits of our powers, even when we're dying. Long ago, at the insistence of my church and my father, I memorized the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question, of course, is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I memorized that answer a long time ago, but I have been learning it better in sickness. And it seems to to me to be the key not just to my comfort, but the key also to my flourishing as an embodied self, and not only in health, but in sickness, is to make it clear that this account of human flourishing does not neglect health or render it a trivial concern. There is a place here for being concerned both about health and about care for those who are sick, But that place, you see, is found in the context of an account of human flourishing construed theologically in terms of God's relating to us and in terms of our appropriate responses to the triune God. The place for Christian consideration of health and care for the sick is within the context of doxological gratitude and joyous hopefulness and effective affirmation. That context does not rescue us from ambiguity, 
It doesn't rescue us from our mortality or our vulnerability to suffering. But it does enable a discernment that escapes us when we identify health and human flourishing, when we make health the summum bonum. In doxological gratitude, we respond to the Creator. We give thanks and praise also for the gifts of life and health and strength. Health is a good gift of God, the Creator. We may and we must take pious delight in it. Loyal to the wisdom that creates and blesses, we may and must seek the well-being of our fellow creatures and of ourselves, including that form of well-being that we call health. But it's folly to deny our mortality and our vulnerability. It's not that death is a good, but our mortality may remind us that we do not have life the way God has life. If we learn to number our days, we may gain a heart of wisdom. And it's not that suffering is good or redemptive, but our vulnerability may remind us that we are dependent upon the care of God and others. And if we acknowledge our common vulnerability, we may even learn to give care without the conceit of philanthropy and to receive care without the shame that we need it. In doxological gratitude, we, we will give thanks and praise for the Creator's gift of medicine, Ecclesiasticus 38. But we will refrain from extravagant and idolatrous expectations of any human power. Loyal to the wisdom that creates and blesses, we will practice a generous hospitality to particular creatures as the particular creatures that they are. That is to say, we'll practice a generous hospitality to those who are dependent and disabled and sick. We will respect and care for them and for ourselves in ways appropriate to the particular creatures that they are and to the particular circumstances in which they find themselves. In joyous hopefulness, We respond to the one who draws us toward God's good future. The eschatological blessing of God was made manifest in Jesus' words of healing, words of blessing and works of healing in the resurrection of the crucified one and in the power of the Spirit. And in joyous hopefulness, we know that God intends life and health, not death and suffering. So we may not aim at death or aim at suffering, even if we must sometimes weigh other goods against the good of our own survival and ease. Because that, because that good future is not yet, we, we must resist any spiritual triumphalism that pretends that faith provides a charm against sickness and suffering or that prayer works like magic to rescue us from our mortality and vulnerability. We may lament and grieve that that future is not yet, still sadly not yet, but not not without hope, not in despair, 
Because that future is established not by human powers, but by the great power and love of God, we will also resist the kind of medical triumphalism that pretends that medical technology can relieve the human condition of its mortality and its vulnerability to suffering. We will resist the Promethean ambitions of a Baconian project and its medicine. And because that good future is already established by the resurrection of Jesus and invades our time in the power of the Spirit, in joyous hopefulness, we will not simply passively wait. We will actively serve the eschatological cause of God, loyal to the Missio Dei. We will heal when possible, using the human powers that God gives. But we will always care for the sick, even when we cannot cure. And we will receive care graciously when we are suffering and dying. We will delight in the embodied and communal blessings that sometimes break into our sickness and into the loneliness of our suffering. We will hunger for a just distribution of resources for health care. And we will never simply abandon the sick in our communities to medicine and its technology. We will continue the practice of visiting the sick and caring for the sick. We will hope in God and rejoice in God's promises even as we lay dying. With an answering love, we respond to the love of God made manifest in sending the Son to reconcile us in the conditions of our ambiguity and estrangement. In loving attention to God, we will learn to attend to all else as all else is related to God. In effective affirmation, we acknowledge Christ's generous solidarity with us in ambiguity and suffering and in vulnerability and death. And when we suffer, we may take comfort that we do not suffer alone. And in effective affirmation, we will acknowledge our own solidarity in Christ with other estranged human beings in their suffering. So we will attend to the least of these, to the sick and the poor and the needy, in their solidarity with Christ. When others suffer, we will comfort them with our presence, visiting the sick as a simple sign that Christ is always and already present to them, in their weakness and estrangement. Their solidarity with Christ properly evokes a kind of reverence and respect. We will learn compassion from his way among us as one of us in the power of the Spirit. And we will practice care for our neighbors as embodied and communal persons related to God seeking their well-being, we will learn from his resistance to our resistance to turn again to God and to our neighbors in love. And as we pray for forgiveness, we will forgive. As we seek to be reconciled, 
we will seek reconciliation. In doxological gratitude and joyous hopefulness and effective affirmation, we can flourish in sickness and in health. We can flourish when we need care and when our care is needed. To God be the glory. Thank you. That was an excerpt from Human Flourishing in Sickness and in Health, a plenary address by Alan Verhey, Ph.D., from the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity's 20th Annual Summer Conference, Health and Human Flourishing. Dr. Verhey was a founding member of CBHD's advisory board and a leading Christian ethicist at Duke Divinity School. The Bioethics Podcast is a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. The Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity is a Christian bioethics research center at Trinity International University, exploring the nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Our website, cbhd.org, has a wealth of materials on a wide range of bioethical issues. For more information about the center and to support the work of the center and projects like this podcast, please visit our website at cbhd.org. My name is Michael Sleesman, and I'm the Managing Director and Research Scholar of the Center. Thank you for listening to the Bioethics Podcast.